Listener Production. Welcome along to Episode 76, Part B of the Howie Games, the first ever recorded live show featuring Sam and Elise Willoughby. On with the show. We might get someone else up on stage now. Yep. Um, she's here tonight. I'm about to get a young lady up on stage who is an Olympic silver medalist as well and just recently won another world championship. Um, Sam's beautiful wife, Elise, is here. So give a warm round of applause for Elise. Thank you so much. Come Thank right in here. Get cosy. Um, so this is the queen of MySpace. <laughs> um, I got him to upgrade to Facebook pretty did quick. You? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so we've heard about his fangirl moments at this stage with you. When did you find out that something had happened with Sammy? So I was, we were back... At, or, I was back in Minnesota at the time, um, and, and that's you know a four or five hour flight from San Diego. And on my way to a, a charity thing, celebrating my uh, silver medal, and I had actually talked to Sam on that drive. Um, and he was saying, "Yeah, I'm just going to go out to the track and have a little play." He was drinking his coffee, getting ready to go. And I was like, "Okay, all right, sounds good. I'll talk to you after." And couldn't have been more than half hour, maybe, f- yeah, probably about a half an hour. And we were walking into this stadium, this is a baseball stadium, and um, all of a sudden the track operator called me, like I saw it, and I was like, hmm, that's weird. Um, anyway, didn't, didn't answer at the time, but second call, and I was like, okay. And then like, it just immediately, you know, and your gut just sinks, and you're like, something's not right. Like, why am I getting this call? Um, and uh, yeah, basically I answered it and it was pretty direct and it was, in my head, the first thing that flashed my eyes was obviously something had happened to Sam because the reason this person's calling me, Sam just went to the track, something bad happened, but I thought maybe something happened with his knee or, or you know, with his ACL, something like that. And basically they called and said, I don't know how to put this, but Sam, can't, Sam crashed and he, he can't feel his legs. and. I said, okay, uh, you know, you just kind of like take that in for a second. You're just, you know, speechless a bit. You don't know what to say. Um, and I said, well, uh, like what, where are we at now? What is he on the track? Like what's happening? And he said, so I'm going to leave. I need you to talk to his parents and I'm going to, you know, we don't know the severity of it yet. He's still on the track getting him into an ambulance and then a life flight's calling. And then at this point, you know, I'm four or five hours away and I'm like, okay, they're calling a life flight. He can't feel his legs. Like, this is bad, you know? And um, I, yeah, basically we hung up. Um, I sat there for a second in the stadium. I cried. I had um, three three good friends with me at the event and obviously said to them, like, I, we, we can't do this right now. I got to figure out how to get back to San Diego, like now. I don't know. I didn't know the severity. I didn't know exactly diagnoses or what would happen, mm-hmm. but I knew I had to get back to San Diego, like, right then. Um, so kind of started trekking back out, called my dad, um, told him I'm not going to be at the charity event tomorrow. You got to figure it out. Something's bad. And obviously everyone's trying to console you. Stuff happens all the time. You don't, you don't know, like, until they get in the care, like, what the severity of everything is. But 
the gut was just that this is bad. So I got on a, well, pre-getting on the flight, I called his family and calling his mom was probably the hardest phone call I've ever made. And um, obviously they were hysterical. They're a day, over a day away. What, what did you say? I just, I, I called Shaz and, oh, hey, how are you going? She says, and I'm, um, I got some bad news. Uh, Sam's had a crash and he's in San Diego, obviously. And um, he can't feel his legs at this point. Um, um, probably even higher. I, I didn't know, they hadn't told me any information. I was like, all I know is he can't feel his legs. I hadn't spoken to him yet at that point. And so Sam, in the hospital, what, what are they telling you? Like, you're by yourself in the hospital. Yeah, so when I got to hospital, I was raced off of the helicopter. I mean, well, first of all, I was shoved in the back of the helicopter and they basically, you can't hear anything because of the, the noise. And they just said if I was motionless and strapped to the backboard at that point, and they just basically said, if you need our attention, like bat your eyes in this flight, it's going to be a five minute flight. And so when we landed at Hillcrest at the hospital, it was only five minutes later. And then I just remember being rushed through the ward and just looking at roof lights going by and um, no one with me. And I remember there was a female nurse that grabbed my hand or put her hand on mine. And um, I remember looking up at her and she just had like a tear in her eye. And I said, am I dying? And she said, you've sustained a severe neck injury and we don't know your outcome. We need to get you checked right now. Whether if that was a overstatement or not at the time that when you ask that question on a backboard and you don't get a yes or no answer, it's a pretty daunting moment. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not a thing to dwell on, but when, when did you find out the diagnosis and what was the diagnosis, mate? Um, I went into an MRI, I was shoved into an MRI machine for about 45 minutes, pulled out of that and then was just back in a waiting room still by myself and that was when a surgeon came around and he said, I still at this point, I didn't know I'd broken my neck, I had no idea because I, I didn't have any pain, I couldn't feel anything. Um, so I really didn't know what it, I knew about paralysis but I didn't really understand it and um, I didn't really understand spinal cord injury. and. Then a surgeon came around and he said, didn't really introduce himself or anything, he just said, close your eyes. So I closed my eyes and he said, what am I doing? And I said, you're squeezing my right big toe. So I had some feeling there and he said, okay, we need to go now. And I was like, go where? Like, and he said, we need to go to surgery now. You've um, broken, you've crushed your spinal cord at C6. Um, you fractured five and seven and C6 is a burst fracture. So there's, it's crushing your spinal cord right now, and if we don't relieve that pressure, your chance of recovery are zero. Um, and at that point, I'd never been under the knife. Like, I'd never had surgery. So I didn't have anyone to converse with, and I was kind of like, well, what are, you, what are the options? Like, and he was like, there is no options. Like, we, we go now. And I went into surgery for six or seven hours, and. You asked him if he knew what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you came out of surgery. Were you there by then, Elise? Uh, yeah, so basically I made the phone calls. I'm, I'm going to get back there, you know. Um, and I, I talked to him while he was in the ambulance. So they got a call and said, you know, keep calm. I'll be there. Um, bought the 
Wi-Fi on the flight and stayed in touch with everything I could through who, who was there from the track. But the hardest thing was knowing that he didn't have anyone there, family, like, you know, and I know that's what his mom would have been, and the whole family would have been thinking as well. So I just rushed back there, and I was there probably about 10 minutes after they said people could go back um, when he was waking up from surgery. And, um, yeah, he was, he had to make all those calls on his own <laughs> the whole time. So you wake up after surgery, and what happens, mate? Just, I was still paralyzed. I mean, did someone come and tell you? It was. It was probably just after when Elise had got there that a doctor finally came around, and that was when I heard them use the word paralysis for the first time. And um, they said we don't. He was kind of good about it in a way. He said, "There's no guarantees at this point, but the the future we have to let you know that the future of paralysis is." Likely. So what do you say to Elise at this point? Um, I broke down and I said, you're not marrying me, you're not marrying a vegetable. And I regret calling myself a vegetable because I think that's it's not fair to a lot of people in, in worse positions and even people in my position. But just... Yeah, I just, I just felt guilt at the time, honestly, that I'd let this thing of, you know, BMX and success, I felt at that point in the moment of it all that it had, I'd let it overtake me. And, um, and now, you know, my, I, just, I just was thinking about my mum on a 14-hour flight being told that their son's a quadriplegic and the thought of Elise, now you've got to juggle this at 25, like, yeah. I guess a lot of 25-year-olds probably would have walked away, but the fact you're still here now. So how do you respond when your fella says that to you at his time of greatest need? I think his immediate response, and I just knew that that was what it's going to be as well. He's going to push, push me away, push everyone away, because obviously I know him and what he's feeling. I can sympathize, not empathize in the situation, but I knew him and I knew what he was thinking. And I guess I just never wavered with the whole thing. Like it never, I don't know if it, that's, I mean, I'm an athlete as well. I don't know if it's a sporting mentality or what, but it was like, A, they don't know us. They don't know him. We don't know the outcome what's the next step in this process? It's almost like we gotta move to the next thing. We can't just be sitting in this negative environment. Because probably the most, I guess, most positive person in the whole thing was a surgeon, like as far as the hospital goes, <laughs> because everyone else was pretty negative. But, but did, you, did you have a time where you thought, this is a big thing to sign up with? Like you're an elite athlete. <laughs> Athletes have to be selfish to achieve yeah. what they wanna do. That's a, it's a big decision for anyone. Obviously, yeah. love is involved, Sammy, but it's still a big decision, isn't it? it? It is. And I think that, yes, there were, I mean, times where people would say things to me, within, even from the family, like, you know, even him, you know, you don't have to be here. You don't have to do this. You don't have to take this on. But for me, I, I don't know. I, I just never really wavered. I, 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 it was scary 
it was daunting. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not scary. And like when you're holding, you know, at the beginning, he couldn't even grab the remote or like the thing that would suction from the surgery in his neck, the drool and stuff that was coming out. Like he couldn't even hold that. And that's very daunting to think, okay, what's going to happen? But we're also, we were also naive as well. Like we didn't know the gist of what was what, what everything entailed. We didn't know, and we didn't know what the recovery was like, and we just thought we need to take the next steps. And I guess for me, it was never, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm too scared, I'm gonna shy away from this and, and back out. Like, I was, you know, I'm gonna be in this process and get him through this, and I'm gonna get through this as well. And um, yeah, I don't know, as things just unfolded in such a way and the timing of events that I yeah, never she really just, had to walk away. She never broke down to me once, and she said she had her moments outside of it, but to me it was just like, she was always just like, next thing, like next thing, what do we need to do to get Sam better? And like, you're, you're a lucky man. She, yeah, right. You're a lucky man. But I think that a big part of that is the whole network of people. Like, they, they made it. His, his family is rock solid. My family is rock solid. Nobody, we were already, you know, one unit, everybody. And I think that when you have a network of people like that together, it's like, well, we will. Like, it's not just an I need to. It's a we will get through this, you know? So I don't want to gloss over it. We don't want to keep people here till midnight. How did you mentally approach rehab well at first it was just i was just hell-bent on walking like i just felt if that my only way out of this thing was to walk again and if i didn't walk then i was useless like i couldn't do anything and um i remember probably my lowest point was we were driving home from a doctor's appointment in around February, probably six months after the injury. We'd gotten home at this point and I couldn't do anything. Like she was getting me in and out of the car and helping me with everything. And I remember just, I kind of fell as I got out of the car and just, I just lost it. And I was like, just leave. Like trying so hard to just push her away because I just didn't want to her to go through it like I just felt like useless and there was nothing was really coming back and I didn't really feel like I was making very quick progress and um and she just snapped back at me for the first time and just said stop pushing me away and I'm not going anywhere and I think that was part of the step to just pull my head in and just try <laughs> to be the best you know Yes, I tried every day to walk and I want to walk and I want to, you know, recover and I wanted to do all these things, but, you know, just like the Rio thing, like you can work your ass off, but it doesn't entitle you to any success of, you know, you, you make your own successes. And around March, I'd been just locked myself in the house for three months and all I would do is therapy, you know four hours a day and when I wasn't doing therapy I'd lay in my bed and visualize and try to make a movement try to do something and in March uh, my brother said we're getting out of the house like because he'd moved his whole family over they were living with us and he said you got to get out of the house like I mean at this point I was skinny I was albino I was <laughs> just 
Yeah. And he said, we're getting out of the house. We're going to the NASCAR race. It was two hours away. I was like, I'm not going there. And he's like, we're getting out of the house. You're going to the NASCAR race. And Why uh, didn't you want to go? Just because I didn't want to be seen in front of people. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be... Yeah, it just seemed daunting to go to a crowd of people. I mean, I couldn't get in and out of the car. I couldn't... I didn't want to do it. So he dragged me along there and... Um, a good friend of ours who works in the NASCAR industry. He said um, he organised this VIP tour, you know, meet and greets of all the superstars. And but he said at 10 a.m. you need to go to this number 13 hauler and uh, meet the crew chief of this team. His name's Booty Barker. And he said I've been friends with Booty for 30 years. And he said Booty's in a wheelchair. And at that point. I didn't want to talk to anyone in a wheelchair. I hated the thought of talking to anyone in a wheelchair because I didn't want that to be me and I just felt they had nothing good for me to tell. And, the sh and that's a super shallow thing to say sitting here now, but that was how I felt because I felt my only way out was to walk. And we went into this truck. <laughs> There's this guy there, Booty Barker from Virginia. One of the, one of the great names, <laughs> Booty Barker. I like Booty already. <laughs> And he just comes rolling out, big smile on his face, and he's, hey, Sam, how you going? And pulls me into the trailer and um, just starts telling me every... He's a crew chief for this multi-million dollar team, and he's showing... He's climbing up and showing us all the parts of the car and showing us all the engine data, and, um, and he's like, how long have you been injured for? And I was like, oh, I got six months ago. And he's like, cool, you look great. What are you going to do now? And, <laughs> and I was like... What do you mean? And Matt kind of answered the question for me. And he's like, well, Sam, you know, he wants to walk at his wedding and he wants to get back to, you know, recovered. And um, so, you know, he's doing therapy a lot. And, and he said, when, when did you sort of stop doing therapy, Booty? And he's like, therapy? I didn't do no therapy. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, they said to me, you can dress yourself, you can leave. He said, I did that in three weeks, got the hell out of hospital and went and got my engineering degree, got on with it. And he... Um, and he was, you know, he was just straight up. And for the first time, it, was, it wasn't all the restrictions that had been put on my life to that point. You know, when I was in hospital, it was, you know, you're going to have to get a minivan with a ramp and you're going to have to... Elise is going to have to do things for you for the rest of your life and you're not going to have any independence. And so I felt if I can't walk, then life was over. And then I met this booty and it was just like... It just opened my eyes to, to what I could do and, and he just looked at my brother and I and he said, I'm the same as you and he pointed to my brother and he said, I just have to drag myself around a little more. And uh, it just resonated with me that day and he's been the biggest mentor, I'd say, for me through this injury because he's just showed me how I can live and, you know, he was married and lived an independent life and, you know, ran this race team and did all this stuff and he had the same injury as me 30 years ago and um, so that was just a huge turning point for me and I think from that day I went home and yes I focused on walking and yes I wanted to keep that promise to Elise to one day walk at our wedding and stand at our wedding but more importantly I wanted to be a good person and I wanted didn't you know these people like Elise sticking by me I didn't want to be just this you know this miserable quote-unquote vegetable that and it was my responsibility to to try and just be the best version of me and not put limitations on it and not, you know, 
put a title on what recovery is um, because what I do today, I was told I would never do. And no, I don't walk and no, I can't move my legs. But, you know, there was a, I couldn't brush my teeth at that point. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't put my shoes on. Um, it, you know, the f that day I went home and decided I'm going to dress myself. I'm going to take a shower myself. And the first time I dressed myself, it took 35 minutes. And when I was done, I just laid back down and went to sleep. Because it, <laughs> it was exhausting. Like, but <laughs> it got better and better and better. Back to Sam and Elise in a tick. Let me know at MarkHoward03, that's MarkHoward03 on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, what you think of the live episode concept and who you'd like to come along and watch if we do some more live episodes. The last episode of the Howie Games, which has got a lot of love, it must be said, featured basketball legend and part-time comedian, the great one, Andrew Gaze. You went to Italy. Mm -hmm. How do I pronounce that? Udine. Udine. Yeah. Tell me one short story. <laughs> About how basketball is different in Udine. Oh, well, it was an eye-opener because I'd heard a lot about it, but just the passion that the fans have for the game. Some incredible incredible things happened to me uh, when I was there. During the game when uh, a bad call was made and just the piffing of coins on the floor. Onto so the court. They'd be throwing stuff onto the court and, and the, you have to call a, a stop to the game and there was these perspex um, shields behind each of the benches and we'd all run over and we'd stand there and, and so we wouldn't get hit by all these coins. <laughs> and then the refs, be, they'd be calling for calm, calm, calm. And then two or three minutes later, that, that, that would all settle down. And one of our games that the fans got a little irate and they, someone in the, the stands threw down this, it was only paper, this big ball of paper. And it's come down and the, the physio of the op opposition team, it's gone whack and, it, and it's hit him on the head. Now, it was a bit of paper. I'm sure it didn't get hurt, but he went down like a soccer player. Like a European soccer player. Like a Euro <laughs> he went down, withering, rolling around on the floor. So they call a stop to the game. They, they cart him off. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, let's get on with the game. No problems. Uh, the next week, they had this tribunal or something, and they declare that because your fans are misbehaving – we suspend your court. So for the next two home games, we're not allowed to play at home. We, we, we were like an hour and a half from Treviso. So we had to go play there with no fans. So no. We, no one's allowed in the venue. It's just the two teams and the officials and that's it. So no fans. It's like a penalty to wow. the team for this happening. That was Gazy on episode 75 of the show. Alrighty, back to Slamming Sam. We've got... A couple of bits of vision I want to show everyone here, and uh, Elise, I know you're on camera work for this one. Uh, I think this is with your bro. I don't know how far <laughs> in this is, but this is Sammy working through his rehab in an unusual way on an exercise bike. Up. Up. Come on! Down the back! <laughs> Down the back! Coming into turn three, go get So, mate, that, that's, that's fantastic vision, but... I, I guess... the. Th the thing that I really want to know is what's the mindset to overcoming? Like, you've had to overcome a pretty big blow here. What's the mindset to defeating it? For me, it's just been embracing it, honestly, embracing the struggle of it. And that's what I loved about sport now when I sit here and I look back at sport and all of that. It was like 
I loved the struggle of it. I loved the, you know, my little rituals and routines. And, um, you know, I would wean off of, I love coffee, I love caffeine. I wouldn't drink it for a week and I'd be mis- curled up in a ball of a headache the week before a race because I just loved to feel like I sacrificed something to <laughs> then achieve something. And I think for me, it's just been embracing the struggle of this injury. And yeah, I have my days where I just want to throw something, but understand that's okay, that, that's part of it. And, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I literally have to unscrunch myself like a scrunched up piece of paper, embracing that and, you know, kind of saying, fuck you, you know, I'm going to make the most of today because I have so much to live for with everything I've got. And I think I just continue to surprise myself, honestly, because um, it was only coming here to Sydney the other today. Like, I was here a few months ago with my mom at Darling Harbour and um, I remember thinking about going there and and thinking like I was just walking around there, but I wasn't, I was in a wheelchair. and But I just, I don't think of myself as in a wheelchair anymore, you know? I don't, like that day when I met Booty, it was like I'd never seen the wheelchair. I just when seen, you dream, what do you dream? Where are you when you're in dreams? <sighs> Sometimes I'm in a wheelchair, sometimes I'm racing my bike, sometimes I'm, I'm just Sam. And I don't, I finally got to the point, and it probably took two years where I don't see myself as anything different. You know, I don't label myself as a quadriplegic, I don't label myself as paralyzed, I just, I'm Sam Willoughby. And I'm, I have a few stories, <laughs> and that's it. I think you're different, but it's nothing to do with your wheelchair, mate. I think, like, no, like, I'll from agree. What, yeah, like, uh, you, you, there's a vision of you on a bike here. Um, is this is this a great day? Is this just something you wanted to do? Is it looking back on what you used to do? Like, what's it like when you get on a bike? And by the way, I think what you've been through, you probably need to be wearing a helmet at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a neck brace? Yeah, well, maybe, but what's a day like this? Is it a, I look at it as a triumphant day, but I don't know if you would look at it like that. Yeah, the bike thing is, to me, it, it was more for everyone else, honestly. Yeah, I get that. I don't, that's not fun to me, because that's not what it was, and it's a great triumph, and it's... You must understand how powerful an image that is, though, yeah, for 100%, those yeah. that haven't been where and you that's, are. And it's... It's just to show that there's no limitations, really, and it's. But for me, it's not. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. Nothing compared to putting my shoes on. Put it that way. Right. I'm going to play something now, um, which, if you're listening in the podcast, you'll hear. Um, we're going to Sam and Elisa's wedding now. They've allowed us to release a little bit of um, wedding video. Um, you talked about the fact you wanted to walk down the aisle with Elise. I've seen this a few times. I promise to you I would not cry on stage, but um, <laughs> let's just listen to this. Yes, Sammy. The first 
the not so obvious thing that strikes me at that video is Elise, you looked absolutely magnificent as the Thank blushing you. bride. You look spectacular. Both of you looking back at that now, what is it? What did that mean to you then, and what does it mean looking back at it now? And I can, you're both grinning like Cheshire cats now, which is really, really cool. Um, I think it's just we did it together, and that was the most that was the most symbolic part about it was that she was just there for me that the whole time never wavered and um that was a goal and together we did it and I think it just showed that the two of us together can achieve anything and earlier in that year she won her first world title and you know we did that together and, and I think it was just yeah just that together we'll just push and have a go at it <laughs> um you now get the pickle yeah you now get my nine-year-old, um, who was very excited about being filmed rather than question. Um, here's the pickle with a question for you, Sammy. Hi, Sam. Pickle here. My mum and dad got married just over a year ago, and it was amazing. It was so fun. My favourite bit of the wedding was when my brother, the big penguin, ate seven bits of chocolate cake. Yes, seven. <laughs> anyway, what was your favourite bit of your wedding? <laughs> oh man, that is hard to put one thing, but it has. I hope you didn't go through seven bits of chocolate cake at no. your wedding. <laughs> we have um, donuts. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, I think the walk was special, but probably the dance when Lisa and I yeah. danced together, and just because it, I don't know, it just felt like it was just us two there. Yeah. And you, Elise? Uh, similar, I'd also say when me and my dad came in for the grand entrance, he got a bit wobbly on the end of the aisle standing, and it was almost like I knocked him off his feet, you know? So, so, so all that practice you'd had almost went out the door for a second, yeah, yeah. but he held it together, so that was pretty cute. At least we'll let you go shortly, um, and we need to, we need to wrap up shortly. Um, as I said, just a world champion and coached by a man who's now coached his first world champion. Congratulations to both, congratulations to both of you. you. You go to, absolutely. You go to Tokyo hoping to achieve all your dreams. You're already an Olympic silver medalist. What's it like having your hubby as a coach? We get asked this a lot. And I think that the key to it, that why we don't kill each other, being working, living, everything together, is that it's not like he's a drill sergeant making me do anything. It's, I want to be doing it. I love doing what I'm doing. And I know that he is 150% behind me and supportive and has nothing but the best in, in everything for me. And there's no ulterior motive. He just wants me to succeed. And so whatever we're doing, like he said, we're doing it together and I, have been really close a lot of times, but Sam started coaching me in about, what was it, March, April? April of 2017, which, mind you, leading into that at home when he said before booty was probably the hardest time in my racing career of whether or not to go back into it. But once he kind of gave me like the, the all clear, like, you know, I, like I'm in this with you. I'm not, you know, he basically gave me the green light to get back into it and do it. And I didn't, I wasn't going to be making him jealous or doing, that's a weird way to put it, but mm -hmm. it, it just felt weird, you know, like this was something we always did together and then we weren't doing it together. So once he kind of gave me the green light that, you know, I want to be a part of this, 
and actually came on board as, as my coach because I'd always respected him and what he'd done and for himself. Um, when he became my coach, it was like we were this united force and team and I've had the best three years of my entire career, 100%. I've won two world championships out of three and I hadn't won one before that, so it's gone pretty well. <laughs> Elise, we'll let you go. Best of luck with everything moving forward, Tokyo, etc. Um, wow, with the couple that you two are, I think you'll dominate. Thanks, Elise. Thank round of applause you. for Elise. <laughs> so, mate, where are you at now, physically? Where can you, in your mind, get to, and what happens next in life? Yeah, I mean, physically, I'm healthy. And we can see by your arms. The, <laughs> you can see by your arms. That's the, the most important thing. I mean, I live a fully independent life. And, um, I'm, yeah, as Elise said, I'm coaching, um, starting to do a bit of public speaking. Um, so, yeah, keeping busy with that stuff and just taking it one day at a time, really. Um, I have, yeah, never regained any um, function in my legs. So... I mean, those videos of walking and riding, I have a little bit of, like, more so spasms that I can activate through my hip flexor that I can kind of... I have a pretty good understanding of my body from being an athlete, I think, and I can manipulate, I think, my body and spasms and different things to, to do a lot with standing and then with the, the braces on, I can kind of walk a little bit, like, at the wedding. But in day-to-day -day life, I live every day in the wheelchair and... Um, yeah, no, not anywhere near being able to voluntarily stand on. And at this point, I think it would probably take some advancements in medical science to get to that point, which I think they're very close to. And if they do, great. Um, so do you hang for that or is it like if it happens, it happens? No, I don't hang for it. Um, but yeah, if it happens, it, it happens. And um, But very much just, yeah, try to live in the now and embrace the now and... Um, yeah, I still love to get in the gym and there's still so much I can I can do and uh, like I said, my biggest achievement is just being independent again because when you're faced with when you look that in the eye of waking up every day and not being able to get yourself out of bed, that that sucks and um, this doesn't suck. It's, it's frustrating at times and takes me a little longer to do a few things and whatever else but yeah, I just embrace that challenge and, um, yeah, we'll just see what the future brings. And um, I would love to one day be able to chase a kid around or kick a footy with, like, with my kid, and if that happens, great. Um, but if it doesn't, I'll just... I can still give plenty of love and high-fives and, um, yeah, share a few stories. <laughs> you mentioned kids. We are blessed on this show to have a lot of children listen to this show that love their sport. Um, for those that want to achieve in sport, life, what would the message be from slamming Sam Willoughby? <laughs> um, I think that's just my motto, embracing the struggle and understanding that there will be struggles in everything and don't, um, don't expect sunshine and roses and, and know that that's part of it and, and embrace that part of it and enjoy that part of it because um, what you're going to remember at the end of it all you know, the one thing I was told throughout my whole career was, you know, you're too intense, you're too full on, like, what if something happens? What if this? What if that? And something did happen, and I have no regrets because I was all in. So, 
I think my advice is find what you love and, and go all in. Because um, if you have that mentality, you'll, you will figure something out, no matter what you put your, put your hand to. Sammy, if you said to me now that I could have had to do the first live edition of this show, I could have had Tiger Woods or Kelly Slater or Steve Smith, I'd say, no, I'd prefer Sam Willoughby. Mate, you've been absolutely outstanding. Um, yeah, mate, it's been a pleasure. No, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thanks to Sam and Elise Willoughby for telling their remarkable stories in such a warm, open and trusting manner. Best of luck to the both of you moving forward. I hope you all listening took something from the episode that you can apply to your life. The live show, she was a pretty big undertaking with a lot of people involved. So some thanks to Jackie Hoban and Ben Rutherford and their entire SCA events team. To Craig Borg and his crew at 5Ps for pulling the audio visuals together. If you need a show put on, Borgie and the crew at 5Ps, they were a team to do it. To Mr Snow Bunny himself, Grant Tothill, who always gets things sorted out with this show. To Darcy Thompson for his ideas and skills to get the record happening. Sal Harris from TLA for being beside me throughout. To everyone that came out on the night for a look. And especially to the E-Bomb for coming along to support. What a sensational wife she is. Thanks to you all for listening to the episode. Until next time, our mystery guest on Thursday, the 26th of September. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.